Welcome. This is another episode of Cyber Coast to Coast. From the East Coast, Metuchen, New Jersey, I am Scott Schober, joined by my co-host. Hey, this is Craig Schober from Long Beach on the West Coast. And uh, we're coming back from a um, winter break. We closed down the business briefly. Um, and, you know, story stories in the news that circulate around cybersecurity and all kinds of uh, issues seem to slow down, but they're starting to pick up again. So uh, before we get into it, did you uh, do you do anything fun over the winter break, Scott, with your your family or any anything at all? <laughs> yeah, I did did a lot of relaxing, fires, uh, splitted some split some wood, uh, but the weather wasn't really that nice. It was kind of cold and dreary and foggy, so we really didn't get to do any lake activities because we were up at our cabin up there at the lake. Uh, and unfortunately, my dishwasher went. So I spent uh, a good two days trying to uh, fix the dishwasher with replacement parts that were incorrect and it didn't work. And I finally, in the end of it, I, I bit the bullet and went out and bought a new dishwasher. So now I have expertise skills in removing dishwashers and reinstalling them and had success there. So uh, happy wife and clean uh, dishes right now. So I, I guess I can't complain, but it was fun. I learned a lot about it and, uh, it, you know, no, no complaints there. Um, before we find out what you were doing over winter break, I, I, I want to mention that uh, Cyber Coast to Coast is brought to you by Cyberlytica, providing proactive cyber crime intelligence. To learn more about Cyberlytica, visit uh, www.cyberlytica.com. And we thank them very much for being our sponsor for cyber coast to coast so uh how was your uh, your winter break there craig did you guys get to relax a bit or do anything fun yeah it was uh almost too relaxed uh <laughs> we've had unseasonably uh cold and wet weather here in the past few weeks so you know we venture out rarely um but you know the past couple of days the sun has uh shined again so and temperatures are picking up so it's becoming same old long beach yeah. uh west southern california so we're gonna we're gonna be out out and about soon enough having fun hopefully as long as we stay away from covid and <laughs> all the other all the other scary things yeah yeah and the, the weather here they actually it, it, it dipped in temperature probably dropped about a 20 30 degree a little bit more normal than you know what than it has been over the past week and i guess southern half of new jersey and all the states below really got pounded with some snow and spots that got six inches plus we were fortunate we didn't get anything surprisingly but we'll take that um although at this time of year usually by now we've had at least one good snowstorm and a lot of the kids are upset as they're dealing with some my kids are still in school with this whole covid mess as you mentioned there but a lot of the schools in our area in new jersey now switched over to virtual for one or two weeks in hopes that things settle down with the winter break and holiday time. Many families got together and it's just spiking here, the, the COVID, this latest uh, strain. And, and that's a pretty big concern. So um, hopefully everybody, all our listeners out there are staying healthy and doing all the, uh, the precautions that they should be doing, keeping that social distancing, wearing masks where they could, washing your hands frequently, um, I had the privilege of getting my uh, booster over the break. So two days I was out for the count as well as my wife feeling sick with all the, the side effects, but hopefully that will 
prevent us if we do get this uh, any strain of COVID. It will prevent us from getting hit really hard. Uh, we'll, so we'll see how that goes. All right. Well, that um, segues us right into our first story about medical devices and ransomware attack risks. You, you brought this one to the table, Scott. Do you want to uh, give us a little bit of background on it? Yeah, absolutely. So this comes from the Hacker News. And, and, and a couple of years ago, there was several reports back in 2017, 2018 about medical devices and could they possibly be hacked? Now, this is kind of fast forwarding a couple of years later, talking about the subject again. And, and since then, in the past few years, medical devices actually um, have become uh more connected to the internet and more devices are wireless. So therefore there's more opportunity for hackers and cyber criminals to exploit those vulnerabilities there. And of course, using wireless as a conduit always, that, that, that's um, very, very common. But this particular spin is talking about ransomware attacks. And I find that interesting too, because a lot of the times when I'm talking about uh, future hacks and cyber crime and predictions that we should look forward to. I talk about this. I say one of the areas that really concerns me is not just hacking medical devices, but where somebody's medical device now in the middle of a, a ransomware attack. And they say basically, hey, I'm I'm gonna shut you down or I'm gonna affect your, you know, uh, your pacemaker if you don't pay this ransom. And they could speed it up or shut it off or do a lot of other things, monkeying with it that could basically kill someone. And it sounds very far-fetched and futuristic out of the movies, but it's here and it's now. And, and that's kind of what this article really kind of delved into is how hospitals and medical care facilities are so interconnected with the internet. And that if ransomware attacks are targeting these facilities it could put patients' lives at risk. Um, there has been already a couple documented cases of people that have actually died as a result of um, cyber criminals targeting hospitals with ransomware attacks. And basically it shuts their computer networks down and therefore they have to divert people. So if you, if you get an ambulance that shows up at your home and you're having a heart attack and they're racing you to one facility and suddenly they say, no, no, you got to go somewhere else. Now they got to drive 20 miles out of the way. You could die in the, in the process. And that's exactly what happened. And that's what this article kind of deal, deals with a little bit, talking about these hazards and vulnerabilities and with, with connected medical equipment. So um, I'm not sure if you've heard of any stories similar to that, but, but I've heard a few over the past two years. And I reflect back uh, with a, a, a cybersecurity colleague and researcher, uh, Tyler Cohn Woods, we were at RSA and we were presenting a keynote there talking about medical implants. And I remember uh, vividly that after we discussed this, somebody actually came up to me and started mentioning uh, they had several medical implants and some health conditions, and they were really concerned. Is this true? What you guys are talking about, about implants and the potential for being hacked in the future so you could tell that the, the, the medical community does have concerns about this, and it's a real thing. Um, so I'm glad this article was out, and, and it was good to see that, and, and, and a little bit more modern spin talking about that tied in with the ransomware attacks. Yeah, and the article you know, pre presents a lot of scary stuff. Uh, the thing that scares me even more, in a way, are the second and third order effects. Now, you have 
you know, ransomware gangs, they could theoretically, you know, say, I'm going to shut off power to your, your pacemaker or whatever, you know, those, those type of threats. And those are legitimate, but we haven't seen too many. Now, the ones we can't really document or prove are the probably tens of thousands of things that have happened that are almost seen as inconveniences. You know, our, our mother has been suffering from cancer for decades and her hospital, you know, she's been a regular patient there getting treatments and all kinds of diagnoses uh, for years and years. They had, uh, I don't know if it was a ransomware attack, but there was some kind of cyber attack. I know they lost her records and Mm -hmm. as well as the records of other, you know, hundreds or possibly thousands of patients. So she had to go and travel to a new, a new place to get a, a scan because they couldn't trust the old scans that they still had on record. So they wanted to see new scans to see how the cancer progressed and yada, 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 all that stuff. But my point is she had to travel out of her way instead of using existing records during the time, during a time of COVID. So she could have been easily exposed to all these other things. There's just a lot of unintended consequences that come from a single attack that affect people who aren't even being targeted. They're just, you know, second and third order effects. And, and you can't prove any of that. And that's what I think we're going to see a lot of, and not even know we're seeing it in the coming years. Yeah. That's just a really good point. And I look at that, I kind of call it a disruptor. And, and those are the after effects of a cyber attack or a ransomware attack or targeted attack. Those disruptors can sometimes be really inconvenient and annoying, not even to mention the costs, because obviously there's costs involved for people and taking new tests and who pays for insurance, this and that. Put aside that, because hopefully we don't focus on just the money side of things when it comes to healthcare and, and people's health. And I think we're all sensitized to this even more as a concern with the, the current strain of, of, of COVID going around and being extra careful that we, we really don't get around other people and we minimize exposure. But, but even to go into doctors and, and hospitals, you don't want to go unless you have to. So now here, to, to your point, in the, in the case where with our mom, she, she was kind of forced to go back into the medical arena again and, and added those risks, which is, which is not good. I mean, as it is now, she's getting regular weekly infusions and, and other tests and procedures. So she, she's seeing a lot of doctors and she's constantly exposed to it. So anytime that anybody out there is pushed to be exposed even more to the, to the medical community, there's, there's concern there. So I do think going forward, if, if cyber criminals, they really should lay off that environment, but we know that the challenge is it's lucrative. They know that they can command a ransom. They can cause a lot of disruption. They can cause grief um, by targeting the healthcare sector and hospitals and doctors and things like that. And, and we, we, the patients all suffer, unfortunately. Yeah. Maybe in the future, they'll come up with something sort of like the Geneva convention, you know, yeah. no, no, tor- no torturing of, of war prisoners, no ransomware of sick people in hospitals. Like let's, let's create a baseline and not go below that, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe, maybe someday well, there'll be some kind of consensus on that and we can all agree on, on at least that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it, it is crazy there. Um, and, and, and what can you do about it? Well, to, to keep safe online, to keep your password safe. So you don't have your information sold on the dark web. So you're not victimized with ransomware attacks and other malware and things. 
it's really important that you are proactive and, and I'll, I'll just put a little plug in there for, our, you know, cyber coast to coast is made possible because of Cyberlytica. They're our sponsor uh, for this segment here and they're providing proactive cyber crime intelligence to learn more about Cyberlytica, visit cyberlytica.com and they do some great stuff there, keeping people safe, especially in the dark web. If our information is stolen and being sold there by cyber criminals. Hmm. And uh, let's see, that that cues us up for our next story here. And this is an interesting one. I've been talking to a lot of friends recently. And I think oftentimes when we think about the uh, U.S. Postal Service, people kind of sigh because they get frustrated with letters not arriving and the endless cost of postage going up and up. Um, it, it is kind of federally funded or, or subsidized to some extent to get things done. And it's pretty amazing that you can, I could take a letter, write it right now, put it in the mailbox, put a 58 cent stamp on it in first class, and it'll go to the West Coast over to you. Um, to get that done in, you know, three to five days is pretty amazing. It doesn't always happen, but, but overall, they're, they're, they're pretty good. I got to give them kudos there. However, they've been dealing with, and this is an ongoing challenge. I mean, technically, if you, if you do the, the research, you go back into the late 1800s, and the postal system has been struggling with people trying to, to perform all kinds of scams. And this is what I call more of a scam mm-hmm. than maybe a cyber attack. And what I'm referring to is counterfeit postage. I don't know if you heard about it much. Um, recently, especially with over the holiday time, people are mailing letters and postcards and sending things, of course, even through Amazon, through the postal system. There's been a lot of stories and articles about counterfeit postage. And one particular article that I really liked did nice coverage on it came from AARP and it was entitled Beware the Surge in Counterfeit Postage Stamps. And I came across this actually as I was doing some research, talking to some friends who actually purchased um, some a number of rolls of stamps. And they were telling me about it. And they said, you know, I got it for whatever, 23 cents. And I bought a couple per, per stamp and I bought a couple rolls. Another person bought a thousand stamps. And I was like, wow, we're, we're paying, we're doing mailings. We're, we're using uh, stamps.com and we get a little bit of a discount. Stamps maybe four cents less than a traditional, you know, if I walk in the post office, because we're buying it bulk and we're printing it out on a Dymo label. Mm. But still, if, if anybody else goes for a, a one ounce letter, it's going to cost you 58 cents to, 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 to mail that first class. So um, if you buy a forever stamp, so when I'm hearing about rates, half of that 50% off, my ears go up because that, that's an expensive, uh, it's expensive to mail, mail letters, to mail, uh, you know, whatever it is, it could be invoices, it could be letters, whatever. Um, so this article, as I dug into it, it talks about how bad of a problem counterfeit stamps are. I did not realize it was this bad. Um, the interesting part is if you go to the U.S. Postal Service and, and it's on their website and there's various articles that talk about it, they actually have some automated detection solutions that are in especially the major postal facilities that handle the mail if it's going out of state or something out of your town. If it's in your immediate town, it looks like they can handle that and deliver it without it having to go to another branch or another location. And they, they likely will not scan it to see if it's actually fraudulent or counterfeit stamps. Um, and, and the way the scam seems to work is it's all coming out of China. When I started hunting down some of the um, specific web addresses for these companies, I saw that they're all registered in China 
They're all reported on different scam websites and they're all using the same e-commerce platform to, to accept either your PayPal information or your credit card and your personal information. And that's the part that really scared me. And that's where the danger is. If it seems too good to be true and you're getting postage at half price, guess what? It probably is a scam. It probably is counterfeit. In fact, it's almost certain to be. The part that I don't like is you're now giving away your personal information. You're giving away your credit card information. And in some of these sites, they are have a level of legitimacy or credibility in that they will deliver the stamps. The problem is they're fake stamps. So they're printing them in the masses, millions and millions of stamps that cost fractions of a penny. They're stealing personal information from the consumer. And of course, they're stealing from the U.S. Postal Service, which is going to do what? It's really going to then affect all of us. It's going to affect their bottom line, which is just going to drive the price of stamps up yet more and more. So um, it's a concern and people really need to kind of stop and ask themselves, is this legitimate? And, and need to think about it. And most of this, just so you know, it, it's advertised on uh, Facebook and Etsy and all kinds of social media platforms. Again, because it's cheap, it's effective. It can get the word out to the massives. I started last night even reading some of the reviews on the different sites and they were all positive five-star reviews. And guess what? They were all fake reviews. And, right. and that's what I think also fools us. We're so used to the, the, the press the button, the quick buy from Amazon or wherever online, and we check the reviews. Oh, oh it's got four or five-star reviews. This must be legitimate. It must be good. Guess what? Those are fake too. Yeah. Now, if you go to like a, so you're saying if you go to a Facebook marketplace mm -hmm. and they're saying, hey, we got these great, we got a big pack of, package of stamps, half price, then it, then it's what? It's redirecting you to another site, totally different site, unaffiliated Correct. with Facebook, and they're taking your credit card information. Exactly. Yeah. So okay. there's, there's a redirect. So the, the advertising is done through Facebook, uh, a marketplace, and Instagram, and Etsy, uh, all different. And there, there's actually dozens of sites that are, that are promoting and pushing it. But the interesting thing, it's also through, um, th through social media in, in that people share. When people get a good deal and mm -hmm. you save a buck, you want to tell someone about it. And that's what's starting to happen. I think the word of mouth kind of made this go even more viral. And, and that's how I was turned on to it. I was on a Zoom call with some, some colleagues and friends and, and they were all discussing it and saying, hey, I just bought some stamps. I got a great price. And I'm sitting there thinking, geez, I never heard of this. How could this be so cheap? That's crazy. I said, what was the site again? And what was the site that you got it from? And, and, and then I'm jotting notes down. And then I started doing my research. And then I clearly realized these were counterfeit stamps. Um, and that's the concern. And, and part of the, the ruse, I think, is important that kind of leads you to believe maybe there's some credibility to, to this is, first of all, it's a forever stamp. I think the first forever stamp was back in 2007 or so. It was about 41 cents. Mm -hmm. And part of the claim here is people that are stamp collectors and, and bought estates and this and that, they bought bulk stamps. Some people spent tons of money and they wanted to buy forever stamps, figuring they buy it and never have to buy them again because the price is just going to keep going up and up and up. So there's all these bulk forever stamps somebody bought at a very low price a long time ago. So some of the stamps even mention from 2017, 2018, the leftover bulk forever flag stamps and so on and so forth. That's the most common one, by the way, 
that that that's counterfeit is is the flag stamp from 2017 2018 and people start to think well it's not the my favorite one i'd rather get flowers or puppy dogs or something else but mm-hmm. hey if it's that cheap i'll save myself some some bucks and, and that's really how it works the, the, they're printing them from frac for fractions of a penny in china mm-hmm. they're selling them now to these various companies and it's interesting all the addresses when I did the research, the physical address on the website for the e-commerce store, they're all in California. When I look up the physical address, in one case, I looked up the physical address and all it was was a picture of the woods. Another <laughs> one, it was a, a dumpy little house that looked like it was in the ghetto or something. So quickly you learn these are not businesses or e-commerce sites for the physical address. And a couple other tells on there, each website looked exactly the same, just a different logo, slightly different address from down the block. And the phone number that they use said, do not call text only. We only accept PayPal. We only accept your credit card. So to, to me right away, I, I, all these red flags were, were, were waving in the air for me. So I would never fill any personal information out. But I started to wonder, how do they test it? How do you know if it's fraudulent or not? And it's interesting. It's really hard to tell for from the human eye, for you or I to look at it. They're going to look pretty close. The post office won't even reveal fully how they can detect legitimate versus fraudulent. But apparently it's a combination of things. You can use optical scanning super fast and it's 100% auto detect if it's legit or if it's counterfeit. Um, so they have machines that are doing this at high speed, number one. Um, they do have some watermarks in there, in, in the actual stamp and in, in a in a sub layer that you can't again see to your physical physical eye. So if you use short range UV light, you can actually put it over there, and 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 discern and see if there's certain letters and things. But it's really stamp collectors that have the expertise in identifying fraudulent versus um, legit stamps because they collect it and that's their livelihood. So. Um, I was looking to that community to find out and get educated on it. And they have a wealth of information they shared over the, the past week with myself. I didn't find an actual device that could easily detect it and tell you it still required some human interaction and, you know, kind of AI with our brain to, to discern the differences there. You couldn't really tell from font or ink or anything else mm. from what I could learn, but just the watermarks and using UV light. Um, yeah, you yeah. could discern a little bit. That's funny. Uh, all this talk about uh, stamps and scams and all that brings me back to my uh, college days in the 90s. You know, this is before the forever stamps this is probably before they were as sophisticated as they are now the, in terms of the post office and scanning. But um, I had a friend who was kind of a anarchist hacker guy. And I was... Um, uh, one of our assignments in my video class was to make a, uh, a, a PSA, public service announcement video for anything we want. And I said, mm-hmm. hey, instead of doing something good, instead of doing a, a white hat PSA, I'm going to do a black hat PSA. <laughs> so I made a series of videos showing how you can steal from a vending machine using the old uh, you tape, you know, dollar bill and tape thing. Mm-hmm. So it kind of goes in pull it and out. pull it out kind of thing. And one of them was a uh, how to reuse stamps that, uh, you know, uh, postage that have been mailed to you legally, you, you know, you, and you steam off the stamp and then you soak it in uh, rubbing alcohol mm-hmm. for a period of time. And it um, apparently it's going to remove the, the uh, ultraviolet ink that the post office puts on it. So they don't, so now you remove the marker 
saying that this was a this was used postage and if you peel it off properly and restick it on and it looks good and it goes through the scanning machines good they're not going to see that mark um i never tested it <laughs> but I, <laughs> I, I but i made but according to his his um instructions i i created the video and and i think i got an a on that project anyway hey, all right <laughs> regardless of the legality <laughs> so um you know, it was the nineties. <laughs> what are right. you gonna do? You gotta think like a scammer, think like a cyber criminal, which is sometimes how you get into their heads. And and hopefully we can do some things that from an education standpoint and the tools we provide and other companies provide to combat some of these uh scammers out there. Cause I, I think it's it's frustrating. And and as usual, who do they tend to target? It's a huge amount of people on the Facebook community and a lot of the elderly, the older ones got duped and fooled out of this because they, you know, they're trying to save a buck, which is fine, but uh, they didn't have maybe the tech savvy ability to dive in and check out how legitimate it is or not. But, but I always mm -hmm. caution people, regardless of what it is you're buying, whether it's on Amazon, eBay, even at the U.S. Postal uh, System online website, if it seems too good to be true, if it's too much of a price savings for anything, stop. It just, all, all the red flags should go up and you need to do your due diligence and, and ask the questions, do a little bit of research. In this case, within about 30 seconds, my skepticism and doubt revealed a whole slew of information that told me that this is clearly counterfeit and a scam. Um, so just, just good things to keep in mind. And, and what happens, I think, unfortunately, when your personal information is compromised. If you were a victim of, of buying these counterfeit stamps, your personal information and, and what they do request is not just your address, but they wanted your mobile phone number in all cases, your email and your credit card. Where does that all end up? Again, ends up on the dark web there. So very important that from time to time you do scan the dark web and uh, make sure that your personal information is not on there or else you will be a victim. And it may not happen today, but it may happen a week from now, a month from now, or later in the year. So really important to, 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 to be careful, be proactive. And, you know, speaking of the dark web, I'm sure our listeners know that Cyberlytica is always looking at the dark web. I mean, it's their job. And, you know, this episode is brought to you by Cyberlytica. They provide proactive cybercrime intelligence. So I urge Anyone that's interested in the dark web, you don't necessarily have to, you know, pay for their services, but you could see all the things that the dark web offers, both white hats and black hats and the law enforcement and everyone's everyone's looking at it because there's a lot you can learn from there. So visit cyberlytica.com and see, you know, how they look at the dark web and um, can get all that uh, data on all of us because it's, it's all out there. It is. Um, and that brings us to our final story. You know, we went from kind of posted scams, and this is a, you know, this is a, this was a scam on some individuals too, but it's much bigger than that, and it's a, it seems like it's a much bigger um, problem, and it, it's ongoing. And I know of this story because I follow. Um, I mean, we both do. Yeah, we're, we're both Apple people. We follow Apple news, um, Apple products, and I know the NSO spyware story because Apple is currently in a lawsuit against NSO because NSO is one of the few, they might be the only, um, I mean, there was Celebrite 
they had their their day in the sun. But now, anytime you hear about an iPhone getting hacked, um, which is not supposed to be able to happen when you when you're running the current OS, should be the it should be the most secure thing. But we still hear about these NSO uh, spyware hacks, and Apple is is a, in a lawsuit saying, "Hey, you're you're enabling users and and state actors to." Uh, infiltrate our security system and that's illegal and dangerous and all these things. Mm-hmm. Um, but what, what's this story? Uh, this story is, um, uh, uh, involves, a uh, Netanyahu and, and Poland spyware. And what, what are, what's, what, what went on here? Is this, uh, is this something we need to worry about or is this something only, you know, high government officials have to keep an, a watch for? I think I think it's something that consumers need to be concerned with because again, it gets back to the root of the problem of uh, privacy and, and overstepping that line. And, and you mentioned before Cellbrite, and Cellbrite was instrumental in numerous cases. Apple working with FBI and law enforcement in unlocking iPhones. Um, traditionally, if you go to any phone store right now, you go to Verizon store, you're going to find a Cellbrite box or multiple boxes in the back there. And that's often used to, to download the content super fast and securely without anybody being able to see what's on your actual phone, your contacts, your personal information, and migrating that over to the other phone. Some of those things have obviously changed in the world now because we could back up our own phones on, on a computer. Um, we could do it in the cloud. So some of that has certainly changed. And, and now you've got a company here, NSO, and both Cellbrite and NSO, I believe, are both based, headquartered, I should say, out of Israel. But they have other U.S. divisions and, and other locations as well because they're larger organizations. But um, in this particular case, the NSO group has this Pegasus spyware software, and it is tied in with Poland's leader and they had, a, I guess, a, a meeting with the Israeli, or I should say the, the former uh, Israeli prime minister, uh, Benjamin Netanyahu, from um, the, the past they had dealings with. And now suddenly they're tied into the Polish government here. And they look back and they say, oh, wait a second. They obtained this uh, Pegasus software, which allows you to do many things, get get into an iPhone, take over it, look at, you know, if you target a particular iPhone and, and, and not only just location, where is this iPhone, but really looking at uh, the data. We always talk about metadata and past episodes, data about data, but this is actually personal information that's private that you really shouldn't have access to. Maybe it's your call history, uh, chats that you had back and forth, texts, uh, images, all that different type of information that could be on an iPhone that this software allows somebody to actually pull off. So it's true spyware that it crosses that line. And I think when you involve now the, the Polish government and you involve an Israeli company, you ask yourself the natural question, what could this be used for in other countries for spying? And unfortunately, they obtained it illegally. And that's really what the crux of the story was, was bringing out here. Um, and, and I-24 News, I'm very familiar with. It's actually, um, it's the I-24 News, I guess, an Israeli station, but it's here in America and they have an American branch. So I've, I've been on that station many times and they have some great uh, information there, 
but but they were kind of breaking the story here and sharing kind of this new wrinkle because Pegasus Software, Spyware, NSO Group, it's been out for a while. It's been a threat and it is a real threat. But now we're understanding now it's targeting specific governments and that they've obtained them illegally, that software, and they're using it. That's where I think this adds yet another layer to the onion as it's being unraveled. Yeah, we mentioned uh, Cellbrite. And as I recall, the first time I heard of them was right after the San Bernardino terrorist Mm -hmm. stuff. Remember, it was Apple and the FBI. There was kind of a standoff. And I think Cellbrite, that Israeli company, they used it to kind of say, hey, we we offer an alternative um, law enforcement. You can um, plug your seized iPhones and Android phones into our uh, black box and we'll pull off the information for you. But this goes a one, this goes one step further, this Pegasus software by NSO, right? Because you mm-hmm. don't even have to have direct physical access to the phone. Once you've installed that software or malware or whatever you want to call it onto the device, uh, remotely, by the way, you can do that. Now you can remotely spy on the user in real time yeah. with, with conversations, text messages, all that stuff. Um, that part is is very worrisome and i can see why uh lawsuits are being filed um i heard that uh you know nso i believe they were a publicly traded company and i think they still are but i heard their their stock is just completely tanked because yeah it's they're just at this point they don't seem to have a they don't seem to um give out the vibe that they're trying to do good they almost seem like a criminal organization because it's getting it's getting hard you know they're skirting that line it's getting hard to see what benefit they bring to society and i think investors are taking note and punishing them uh as a result yeah and i think if you if you look at a lot of these companies that provide a level of let's call it surveillance and applications hardware and software oftentimes a, a company provides this they'll sell it to a lawful agency that's doing work for the U.S. government or another government, but they're doing it lawfully. In other words, they're getting the proper documents in order. It might be Title III. It might be a judge order. Or might, you know, Certain things have to be uh, done by procedure and, and legalities have to be met for them to install it and use it for a very said specific task. They can't just go out there and arbitrarily spy on anybody and look at anybody's phones and pull content uh, indiscriminately because that that obviously is a violation of a lot of laws and uh, privacy and others so um, and what we're seeing here is when we hear about that this software has been purchased and it's being used illegally and not following the proper boundaries it makes one wonder how many other government agencies are doing this how many other people are utilizing some of this to spy on people, to spy mm-hmm. on different targets. And, that, and that's what I think is the, the unknown. Uh, a lot of this, honestly, I think opened up as a result, and you could say good or you could say bad based upon the past, but look what happened with the revelations from Edward Snowden a number of years back. When we look at that, I think it opened all of our eyes really not just people in the U.S., but people globally, to how much surveillance is going on, how many agencies and groups might step over the line or attempted to step over the line and not follow the laws that are in place to protect people and in the name of national security. Yeah. 
mass surveillance we're going to keep an eye on it um it's going to keep on it will keep popping up in the news and um i guess uh, as we kind of close the show uh wanted to check with you and see what your uh what what I missed over because you you've been holding out you've been you you said you were doing a dishwasher and it was you know the weather wasn't great during the break but you've you were you did a few interviews too over the break didn't you yeah there's there's it's kind of interesting I never get to really truly relax or rest per per se um, I, I did a number of of interviews for specific magazines where they wanted me to weigh in on different topics and things but I did. Uh, Sounds like, I believe it's three different interviews. I, I just did one recently with uh, ABC, uh, ABC 27 out of, uh, of Pennsylvania, which was kind of, kind of an interesting one. And um, that, was, that was a cool story because what, what they were doing is an investigative piece about um, Pennsylvania and the unemployment and other things where you go onto their online system and file information. And that obviously when it's unemployment or salary, there, there's social security numbers, there's personal information galore that you need to keep protected. Well, the problem with this is you could access it with just basic login information, and they didn't require any type of multi-factor, two-factor authentication. And, and, and again, my, my paranoia goes up right away. And, and, and certainly um, through the interview, I, I, I share that, that, that there's a concern that could be there and they didn't implement it. And this is to replace an antiquated system that was deemed insecure and was being hacked. And already the new system has been targeted and hacked and they weren't using multi-factor authentication. And it wasn't a single site that you logged in. It was connecting all the different sites. There was at least six um, different portals that were all interconnected that you could get into and now hop over to the other ones. And there was nothing there to really validate. And it allowed a hacker or cyber criminal to get in there if they just had basic login information and simply change a target account if a wire transfer was going to be performed or other things like that. So um, there was a lot of concerns. And I know during the investigative piece, they did reach out to the, to the state for comment and say, how could this happen? How could they release this before properly testing and securing it? And, and there wasn't a whole lot of response, but that was one story that was kind of interesting. Um, a, another show, this was on RT television, Boomer Bust, that um, I did a segment and that talked a lot about the concerns for online shopping, because obviously over the winter break, there's a lot of people that are doing online shopping, especially Amazon and all the different retailers there, that that's probably where they get 30 to 40% of their revenue now is the online shopping that just happens December into early January. So um, there was a lot of concerns for people uh, getting scammed of, of all different types. Um, so I shared some information on that. And uh, the other one was NTD television, which is an interesting, um, more of an, uh, an online, but I actually get it up, up north on DirecTV as well as a cable channel. And that was the uh, an interesting story about the new Spider-Man movie. I don't know if you saw it yet. Um, but what, what they found out was happening is somebody got their hands on a pre-release of it and they were distributing. And it was interesting. They used the Spider-Man movie as a vehicle to dispense malware. And this particular mm -hmm. type of malware was for crypto mining. So what was happening is that um, people would get an illicit copy of Spider-Man movie before it's out in the theaters and they didn't want to drop 20 bucks to go see it. So they're watching it. They download it on their computer. When they download the movie, it secretly puts that malware 
on their computer. And in the background, when you're not using your computer, it will actually access your, your CPU, GPU, and steal your, your, your computing power to mine cryptocurrency. In this particular case, it was Monero that was being um, mined. Um, and it's often used in the gaming community. And they're stealing your, not just your computing power, but ultimately when you go back, you look at your electric bill and guess what? Your computer is smoking hot because it's, it's just crunching the numbers there trying to mine the latest cryptocurrency. So it was kind of an interesting story because it, it played and, and you almost can't blame the cyber criminals, even though they're doing something wrong and illegal, they're using a vehicle where somebody's being dishonest and not buying the movie or renting the movie. So it, it kind of allows them to maybe ease their conscience a little. And they're saying, hey, these guys are stealing copies of Spider-Man anyway. I'm right. going to take advantage and steal their electric to make me some Bitcoin and make me some Moderno. And it's so like a so honey. Forth. Yeah, it's like a honey pot for yeah, cyber exactly. criminals by cyber criminals. <laughs> yeah. So I had, I had fun with that interview. It was kind of because it was kind of different. It was interesting. And a lot of times we have to think outside the box. And that's really what cyber criminals are doing. They're very clever. In, in trying to come up with new means to scam us, to steal our money, to hijack our computers. Um, and, and that's really looking, looking forward to, to 2022. I think what's happening as we up our game and improve on different um, tactics to counter the cyber criminals, they're going to go back to the drawing board and use technology and use creativity and use innovation to find new ways to steal our money, to steal our personal information. So it's kind of guaranteed job security forever. I think we're going to be fine. We don't have to worry about this because there's always going to be a need for, for cybersecurity education, for mm -hmm. hardware tools to combat these cyber criminals. And uh, we just have to keep up with educating people and finding out what the latest scam is and what the latest thing they're doing so we can stay hopefully one step ahead of them. Good stuff. Um, yeah. Just our last reminder before we sign off uh, that this episode of Cyber Coast to Coast is brought to you by Cyberlytica, providing proactive cybercrime intelligence. Learn more about Cyberlytica at their website, www.cyberlytica.com. And um, I guess we'll be talking soon and our audience will be hearing us soon. Uh, please keep subscribing, send your questions and comments because we will answer them on air. Um, uh, signing off from uh, Long Beach, California, this is Craig Schober. Yeah, and I just want to add to that. Feel free if you, if you enjoy these episodes, uh, please, please give us a rating also. Give us your honest feedback there. We'd love to hear what you like and, and even future topics. So hopefully we'll, we'll talk some more. And again, this is Cyber Coast to Coast and signing off from the East Coast. I'm Scott Schober, your host. Again, thank you so much there, Craig, from the West Coast. We'll be talking to you guys next week. 